The church makes clear the obligations Catholics have to church and our God. But what about to our government, to our state and our culture? What are those obligations and how should we carry them out? Join us today as we examine those questions and more with our special guest, Kimberly Hahn, wife, mother, author, and city councilwoman. I'm Dr. Bob Rice, professor of catechetics at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Dr. Bob Rice, a catechetics professor here at Franciscan University of Steubenville, and we're talking about fostering Catholic citizenship. I'm joined by our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, professor of systematic theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, also known as husband of Kimberly Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon, professor of biblical theology and the new evangelization here at Franciscan. And we're pleased to welcome our special guest, Kimberly Hahn. Kimberly Hahn is a well-known Catholic apologist, speaker, wife of Dr. Scott Hahn, mother of six, and grandmother of 15. She is the author of several books, including Life-Giving Love, Embracing God's Beautiful Design for Marriage, and the Biblical Wisdom series. On November 3rd, 2015, Kimberly was elected by the people of the city of Steubenville to be councilwoman at large. She has served on the city council's service, planning, transportation, and economic development committees, and is currently the chair of the Parks and Recreation Committee. Welcome, Kimberly. <laughs> it's so you. great to have you here. It is great to be with you. All right, so Kimberly, uh, you certainly didn't need to add another title <laughs> to your already impressive resume, you know, in addition to being an author and a speaker and a wife and a mother and a grandmother and yet for some reason you decided politician right councilwoman <laughs> at large can you just can you just walk us through what uh, moved in your heart to want to uh, run for office right well there are lots of volunteer uh, opportunities I have had over the years to be involved in political movements mm. and groups um, and offering leadership but always I was too busy at home uh, raising our family, homeschooling. And so when our youngest uh, went off to high school at St. Gregory, uh, the Great Academy, I came home and I said to Scott, okay, now what? Because <laughs> so much of my day was spent, you know, yeah. focused on him. And Scott said, maybe it's time for politics. And that's all he had to say. <laughs> Is that because right? Because with his, you know, okay, I thought, I'm going to look into this. So then I began to call people that I respect and ask them whether they thought I had the gifts and could acquire the knowledge to mm. actually do it well. And with their encouragement, um, I went forward and uh, yeah. I remember too, I mean, we've been homeschooling for 26 years, which means she had been homeschooling. <laughs> um, and so we were empty nesters really three years before we were expecting. Yeah. Mm. And when I mentioned it, it had already occurred to me that this might be the opportunity uh, and she might be able to share a little bit about her grandmother being in the state assembly out in Washington. But uh, I remember too, when you shared it with me at dinner, you would come back from prayer. And it was a really clear sense too, not just from my suggestion, but really 
a sense of calling, too, that came to you in prayer at the Eucharistic Chapel. I mean, that's sort of reassuring that you needed more catnip than your husband's uh, suggestion. <laughs> God spoke to you, a yeah. kind of divine message. That's not what I said. And, and you, know, <laughs> it, it, you know, it does seem altogether fitting because uh, in the context of, of evangelizing, you're trying to reach the whole blooming world. Yes. That's pretty ambitious. But if all politics are local, as Tip O'Neill famously said, then why not? Why not extend your presence, your reach uh, into uh, the city where you live? Yeah, and really that phrase of becoming a mother of the city is what has spoken to my heart the most. Mm -hmm. Wanting to say to every individual who lives here and who visits here, you are loved, you were made with a purpose, and I want to treat you with the dignity and respect that you deserve as an individual. So I didn't campaign in a normal, typical way. I didn't stick to my party. Um, I was told don't go into the projects because most of them aren't even registered to vote. I, I oh. said, I will represent everyone, so why would I not want to talk right. to everyone yeah. and find out what's on their hearts and have them know they have an advocate. And so nearly 8,000 doors later, yeah. she spent nine months knocking on every door in the city and outside of everything, you know, in all of the wards, black, white, you know, <laughs> Protestant, yeah. Catholic, none, you know, and uh, I, I think it was exciting for us that night because, you know, months before, your opponent, who, had, was, who was the incumbent and a native of the city, was boasting that it would be a landslide, and ironically, it was. <laughs> just not, just yeah. not for him. Yeah, and yeah. she was the only Republican running on the on the oh, docket, as it were, yeah. Yeah. against an incumbent in a very democratic city. But I mean, she really did build bridges in every direction with right. every yeah. person, and not just with groups of people, mm. but door to door, month after month, and it was. Exciting to share a little bit of that. So you really did want to provide a kind of maternal presence yes. Yes. in the city. Yes. It must have been exhausting to go to every single door. It was energizing. Yeah, you underestimate I, her energy. I am an extrovert, okay, so yeah. I get more energy. But talking to people, and ha I had one man, I knocked on his door and he said, no politician has ever come to my door. So mm. I don't even care what you represent. <laughs> if you cared enough to come to my door, you right, have my right. vote. Now, I do want him to care what my positions right. are. But at the same time, yeah. there is such an opportunity to serve, um, to connect people, to try to help break down the barriers that come up because you're a woman or because I'm white or because um, I'm more educated than some or less educated than some. Right. And to communicate that we're in this together. There is a common good that needs to be served. Mm -hmm. And I don't have all the answers. I, I'm, I'm not the most intelligent person in town, but I'm willing to step forward to serve. Right, right. And then I want to hear from others. I want to know what their ideas are. We want to weigh all the considerations and then pray for and pursue wisdom. Yeah. Now, Scott was mentioning, so there's politics in your bloodline there? I mean, yes. you, had, you had some family members? It's really have, interesting. Yeah. My grandfather ran for state office in the state of, West, uh, state of Washington. Okay. And he won three terms, um, representing a third of King County in Olympia. Hmm. Then he got a position in the state government, and so my grandmother ran in his place. This was the late 60s. Hmm. And she won easily, um, she won seven terms. Wow. So, and, and when she died, she died in office of cancer, mm -hmm. so she never lost. She was 
so revered. Mm -hmm. And she had that winsome way of being able to work all day as, as a legislator, come home, cook dinner for my grandfather, <laughs> and go back with cookies in hand, chairing a committee. Yeah. And, and, and you got to spend time with her, and too. And I got two weeks as an page. honorary page with, along with one of my cousins. Mm -hmm. And it was such a privilege to see how respected <clears throat> she was by the governor and the lieutenant governor and other legislators to sit in her chair mm -hmm. um, to, to really take in the privilege she had of taking the concerns on her heart, uh, especially in education and in care for handicapped people, and then bring that forward in legislation and make an impact. So that that is in my background. Yeah. So yeah. You, now now I know where that genetic footprint uh, yeah. has come from. <laughs> you have the outline of it now. And then your father is a minister, right? right. And both so my brothers. So that combination politician yes. and minister. And my grandfather always talked about the need for public service. He yeah. had been in the military. He had pursued it as an educator and a high school uh, coach. And so the idea of service, I think, is always something that God is calling us to. And so what we say is, given my life circumstances, is now the time for me to serve in what way? Yeah. And then maybe the Lord will open that door for serving in the political right. arena. Yeah. And I would say too, something that you might not have the freedom to say, and that is, um, you know, most of the people on city council are, I mean, they're all committed and they all give time, but not as much time as you give. I mean, um, being an empty nester, I, I suspect that some of them put in 15, 20 hours a week. She, on average, I would say, puts in at least 30 to 40 and sometimes 50 or 60. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things when you're paid $100 a week, you know, <laughs> right. it's not exactly commensurate, but right. it's one of those things where, you know, um, you mentioned that maternal gift. And yeah. motherhood is not the same as queenship, so it's not an exclusive role. She has a cabinet, she has opportunities to raise up other leaders, women as well as men. And I think the men of this city are sort of startled by such a strong woman who isn't asserting her rights and, you know, right. leading, but building bridges in every direction, yeah. Democrat, Republican, male, female. And uh, I think that's what's startling a lot, that's what's startling to a lot of people, not to us who know her, but uh, it's just, it's a rising tide that lifts all the boats. Yeah. It isn't a kind of competitive advantage. Right. And I, and I think it's, um, it's calling out leadership from other women, too, mm -hmm. to get more involved, and, uh, and men as well. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, because, you know, I can imagine, just as Moses had many objections before God, uh, you might have had those, or certainly many of our viewers might be thinking, well, I could never be a politician. I'm, I'm too religious. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a woman. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not even from around here. I mean, I know you, you've lived here a long time, but there's a student attitude, whereas if you weren't born here and right. have generations going back, you're, you're never going to be a local. Right. So right. Um, maybe you can share a little bit how, you, um, well, what of those obstacles were the hardest to overcome as you were running for office uh, in, in terms of, you know, just, you know, knocking on doors or, or trying to be accepted or, or were they just not really as much of an obstacle as people might think? I don't think being a woman was an obstacle. I really didn't yeah. run into people who said, I, I can't vote for you uh, because you're a woman or I wouldn't consider that. The idea of being local, yes, uh, that was a barrier for people. Mm -hmm. um, one person said, how long have you lived here? And I said, 26 years at the time. And the person just said, oh, you haven't lived here long enough to, nice. to represent our yeah. area. A quarter of a century. Yeah, yeah. 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 not long enough. So, <laughs> so there was that. Um, 
I was told don't bring up Franciscan University because there's, there's tension between the town and gown. People, as I knocked on doors, people were eager to talk about Franciscan. They mm. said, our, our town may have shut down if it had not been for Franciscan University once the steel mill closed. I mean, they see a very positive relationship mm. and, uh, and they initiated that. Um, what about our kids in football? Well, that was, that was what, you know, <laughs> being a homeschooler, um, I never ran into opposition in town, but there is very strong loyalty to yeah. Catholic Central and Big Red High Schools. Well, here's the thing. As a homeschooling parent, when my children wanted to play sports, a couple of them wanted to play soccer, a couple of them wanted to play football, two of them chose to go part-time to Catholic Central. So I am, in fact, a Catholic Central soccer mom. <laughs> and two of my children wanted to play football at Big Red. And so I am, in fact, a Big Red football mom. Nice. And that, that was more important of a credential than the fact that I have a bachelor's and a master's. It mattered more to people than the fact that I've authored numerous books and articles. Yeah. People did not know Scott, but when I knocked on doors, people would say, are you, are you uh, Gabe Hahn's mom? Are you Jeremiah Hahn's mom? I played football with him. You can count on my vote, my wife's vote, and my parents' votes. I want to sign for my yard. I mean, it was like, <laughs> It was you like serious? you were ushered into the temple clergy. Yeah, right, exactly. It was amazing. That's so, what sealed the deal. And I never had the kids play you know, sports, so that would open that door <laughs> right. politically for me. But it was beautiful because I was responsive to my children's hearts mm. and prayerfully found that way to be able to have them pursue their dreams. And ultimately, it, it really had an impact on <laughs> my run for office. Well, if, if you have larger aspirations, I, I don't think those connections would cut much mustard, uh, say, at the state <laughs> right. or national level. Would you like to be president? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, all right, okay. <laughs> you don't have time? It's, it's really liberating to know that you're not in it for the money yeah. <laughs> or, or the power. Yes, yeah, no, that's, that's no, amazing. no. It's counterintuitive. And that's part of the beauty of local politics. It really is. Yeah. Because it isn't a powerful position. We have to continually remember that we are in office because we serve the public. We are the ones working for you all. Mm. And so we need to have an open door. We need to have an open heart yeah. to take in the concerns that they have yeah. and then to be able to sift and sort through the facts. I think one of the biggest challenges when I began to run for office was people said, how can you get down into the muck? And I'm like, what is the muck? Mm. Yeah. Because I personally don't think it has to be that way. I think that you can have civil discourse. I believe that you can be a principled person and you put forth principled ideas and you really listen to each other and build consensus. You know, and getting into the muck in this case most recently is sort of like the infrastructure of the city's water supply, which is <laughs> aged and antiquated. Right, yeah. And so, you know, there was all sorts of discussion, disparities, and so, I don't know, 190 hours later, you know, you have compiled all of this material that is all over the tables in our living room. And, and, and proposed last night at city council you know, a compromise. It will still have to go before the town hall meeting, but it's one that brought people together when there was like a, a, a big gap before. And uh, this is one of those things where month after month, I'm seeing and hearing the work pay off and people are not going to recognize what difference you made because it's not like she's in front of a camera trying to get the credit. 
Yeah. And the and result is people will be able to drink city water. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> which cool. is a very important thing. Which is, which is a very, very <laughs> important thing. And I think you're right. I think so much of what happens at the local level isn't really recognized yeah. on a bigger thing, but that's why I think as you were mentioning, like being a part locally mm-hmm. uh, is such a different image than some of the national politics that exactly. we see. And I think we'll have an opportunity to, to talk a lot more about that. So please stay with us for more Franciscan University Presents. In high school, I got to serve in campus ministry and was involved in student government and then was president of my pro-life club. And then now at Franciscan University of Steubenville, I get to be in the Center for Leadership and serve in this way and also be a resident assistant in one of the all-women's halls. I see this as a privilege to serve Christ's daughters in this feminine way. I think we all have this desire to help people. For myself, that was becoming a volunteer firefighter. So I went through all the training, I got my qualifications, And now I'm able to respond to these calls where I can help people who are possibly having the worst day of their life. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith and reason, wisdom and grace, mercy and truth. You'll study under world-class scholars and seasoned practitioners who are committed to Christ and His church. With over 40 majors and pre-professional programs, you'll find the formation you need to succeed. At Franciscan University, you'll find more than just a college. You'll find yourself and an educational experience as singular as you are. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about fostering Catholic citizenship with our guest, City Councilwoman Kimberly Hahn. You know, Kimberly, many of our viewers, of course, has heard of, uh, you know, Steubenville through the lens of Franciscan University, but uh, might not be very aware as we're talking about some of these political issues, uh, what the entire city is like. Can you just give a a snapshot to those watching the show about uh, life, you know, apart from the hill, you Mm -hmm. know, on which we live on this campus? Well, we're a population of about Mm -hmm. 18,000. Our median income is $33,369. And the main reason for that is that the major steel mill that gave a lot of people work and a lot of related jobs, uh, uh, opportunities for people, um, closed a number of years ago. And that's had a dramatic impact. What a lot of people hit as a crisis in 2008 and 9 with a housing crisis, we had hit years earlier. We are rebuilding and we need anyone and everyone who's interested in coming and providing jobs, we need people to come here. Mm. There's a tremendous community, a tremendous neighborhood sense throughout the city. I live up on Bell, and we are doing a number of different things to reach out to neighbors. Um, neighbors meeting other neighbors' needs, mm-hmm. building neighborhood conservation districts to help people preserve their home values. We have a thousand vacant properties in the city. Some of them are only vacant, some are abandoned, mm. and we need to find the way to figure out, do we demolish them? Do we try to get people to donate them to Habitat for Humanity? Mm. Do we appeal to the state of Ohio to give us some relief to assist us? Um, and that actually points out something important, this principle of subsidiarity that council needs to do all that we can do for our people. We need to encourage families 
to do what they can do. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't be stepping in and solving their situation, their problems, but we need to assist in any way we can. And for things that are beyond us, we need to appeal to the state and only then to the federal government. And that's a very delicate balance that we often see uh, you know, struck within politics. Right. You know, there's a message of hope that I, I can hear, you can hear. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of, of, of Bob. He always has a message of hope. Um, I, I want to balance it not with gloom and doom, but you know a before and after. Because you know when you said years ago, it was decades ago. You know in the '60s and '70s, the steel industry collapsed here, as it did in Pittsburgh, where you know you were born and I grew up. Uh, you know back then, the city population was roughly 50,000, and right across the river, Weirton was roughly 50,000. And so dropping from 50 to 18,000 over the last few decades, and Weirton's drop is basically parallel, mm. you know, and so when we talk about a thousand abandoned homes, I mean, there's empirical reasons for why, you know, yeah. so many homes are abandoned and many others have also been torn down. But, you know, the, the, the prevalent mindset had been, well, the steel industry will come back. Well, that ain't going to happen, you know. Yeah. And so, well, then in that case, we're just going to have to kind of uh, regulate the decline. And that has been happening because it's self-fulfilling. But when people come in with a message of hope, you begin to see change, and not just mandated from the city council through laws, but through first Fridays on 4th Avenue. Yeah. Like the last five or six months where a thousand people the first time, then next month 2,000, then 3,000, then you know, each month it's like a celebration so that the natives of the city who grew up, who remember the 60s and 70s are like, wow! You know, and it's not for crime, it's not just for gambling, it really is for music, and it's for, you know, amazing mm -hmm. uh, performances and stuff. And so this message of hope that she brings isn't a kind of a Pollyanna-ish. It really is uh, something that I draw strength from and have for, yeah. you know, for 40 years. Um, but at the same time, now everybody gets to. And Franciscan has been a crucial right. uh, neighbor in all of this. Um, yeah. The numbers of jobs that have been provided, the actual trickle-down effect of those jobs as people who come to work here, have purchased homes here, have um, you know, shopped here, uh, grocery shopped here, get their hair cut here, you know, all of that benefits the local economy into the hundreds uh, of millions, millions of dollars, yeah. and that's been documented by some of our professors Joe here. Zorican, yeah. And then over the last 40 years, they documented more than 18,000 volunteer hours. So there's been internships, there have been um, households who volunteered downtown, and much of this First Friday on 4th right. and other initiatives have been driven by young people, young people right. who yes. went to school here and decided to settle here. Right. Uh, on a street next to ours, we've had at least three grads who are young um, just purchase homes and they're redoing these homes mm -hmm. and they're contributing because they they don't see themselves in isolation they want to be part of community they want to reach out to neighbors so the university has had a tremendous impact um, not only on the faith and uh, and households who go door-to-door -door evangelizing but actual economic development yeah. and that's been really great yeah. And the city recognizes yeah, that. This, uh, what, what you're describing really stands athwart uh, what had been the larger trend among these uh, Rust Belt communities, which had been more and more a council of despair, giving up. Right. In yeah. the wake of that devastation, yeah. uh, they, are, they are, I think, inclined to cultivate a victim uh, mentality. Mm -hmm. Let the government bail us out. 
Right. And we're going to remain pretty cynical uh, until that happens. Right. But what you are outlining uh, and what we see concretely is a genuine renaissance of life uh, in this city. It's extraordinary. And it is being blazed, that trail, by graduates, many of them, of this university. And there's a combination of spirituality and subsidiarity. In other words, it's not just a political agenda. It really is fostering the faith. Protestants as well as Catholics and people who don't even have faith are on the, on the wagon, so to speak. Or, you know, but it's, it's fun to see the young people. And you know, Nutcracker Village, the last three or four years, thousands of people 35,000 last yeah. year. Wow. Our third year having it, 35,000. Yeah. During Advent came. season downtown, which had been abandoned, you know. Right, right. And then there's this, and again, it wasn't a law, it wasn't a decree, it was this spirituality on the part of people who have been involved in the faith for decades, involved in the pro-life movement, but now they really want to kind of create this context, the culture right, yeah. of family life. Let's talk a little faith. bit more about that because I think that the spirituality of a politician mm -hmm. um, often isn't something that is discussed, at least in the national <laughs> realm. How do you approach that, Kimberly? Yeah. Well, specific prayer for everybody uh, involved on council, the, the law director, the city manager, and the mayor every day. Once a week, I meet with a group of women and we pray the rosary specifically for council that night. We pray for what's been done in darkness to come to light, and we pray that the light will really shine, that people will genuinely find hope, um, and ultimately that people will find Christ because there are such limits to what government can possibly do. For me, one of the keys has been to choose a different scripture verse every week that becomes the focus of my prayer in trying to really tune in to the wisdom of God in those circumstances. Um, and I was gonna just mention Joshua 1.8 was the first one because it was so amazing to be elected and then to feel the weight of responsibility and how, how do I approach this? And I, I, I needed uh, the, the, um, the help. And it, it says, have I not commanded you, this right before Joshua is gonna take the people of, of Israel into the promised land, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you will go. Um, I would say that's about it, you know? It, it's, there, there's, there's more to it, too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> lots more. But I mean, yeah. uh, dozens of miraculous medals planted all over the city <laughs> and such things as that. You, you know, know in, in trying to reach for a comparison, some yeah. counterpart uh, among the annals of sanctity, heroism, uh, I, I can't come up with anybody. I mean, you're obviously not a man, so you're not Thomas More. <laughs> and Catherine of Siena was not married so you can't be her either. <laughs> uh, you're sui generis. I mean, you have established your own unique uh -oh. stamp of goodness. She, she is, but at the same time, I, she's opened my eyes as a biblical scholar to the, the, to the least known heroines in salvation history, such as we always think about Job. She says, think about Job's wife. <laughs> she lost it all. And so when Job had all of the children restored, more kids, what was it, 10 more? 10 more. Yeah. Who bore them? You know, <laughs> Mrs. Job. Noah built the ark, but who managed for that whole year and beyond, you know? And likewise, we the don't only chapter. their first names. Yeah. The only chapter of the Bible written by a woman is Proverbs 31. Well, she's written four books about Proverbs 31. <laughs> and again, we don't know her name either. The Queen Mother of King Lemuel is right. all we have. And, and yeah. a final figure, a, a, 
Lot's wife. I mean, I know she was turned oh, yeah. to a pillar of stone, but Irenaeus tells us that we should really esteem her because she would not turn her back on her children. And in a way, that's what you've done. The temptation is to turn your back on Steubenville. Let it sink mm -hmm. uh, you know, beneath a setting sun. It's worthless. But, but you've gone out and you've somehow solicited yeah. uh, the votes and the concerns of these people who otherwise would remain strangers. And, and I've, I've tried to encourage people to join me in doing small things that I think ultimately are gonna speak to people's hearts. Mm. So we have planted over 300 rows of Sharon trees in the pool area, just outside the pool, so that when the children are in the pool, they will be able to look up on the hillside and see beauty. Mm. We, and they were gonna close the pool down. Right. Oh my, right. it had been shut. And council, and council really united around, no, we want this open, but, we had to work on the issue of safety, we had to work on the issue of cleanliness, and we had to work on the issue of who is going to really monitor things. And yeah. we had a 17% increase in the use of the pool this summer. We've got, the baby pool is going to be open next year. Mm. Um, and again, a wonderful group of people and some Franciscan uh, staff and faculty came down and volunteered and we've, we've done beautiful gardens. <gasps> to speak beauty into the hearts of the people who come there. What about the marina? Then we, I, we've worked down at the marina. <laughs> now I tell you, that's been a real labor of love because we, <laughs> we terraced the hillside with beautiful uh, driftwood and, and planted all this, these plants from my property and um, the flooding wiped it all out. It even moved massive rocks we didn't put in place, but mm. the waters moved, moved yeah. the rocks. So we have to learn. <laughs> that's, that's been a study in, okay, every idea I have is not yeah. scathingly brilliant. <laughs> but what's, what's wonderful that I'm listening to, it just wouldn't be the thing I would normally think of a politician talking about planting flowers or planting bushes. Yeah. And, and what I think is beautiful about that is maybe uh, many have a, just a misconception of what politicians do or can do, and uh, often might look at a realm of politics and say, well, I have, I have no experience right. in politics, so I'd love to get involved, I care yeah. about the city, but that's up to somebody else. As you entered into that realm, I mean, you had a little bit in your family history of it, but really not that kind of quote-unquote political experience, and I don't even right. know yeah. what that would be. What were some of the things that you immediately recognized or learned um, You know, as you started to take just your skill sets of being a mom and yeah. an author and a lover of Christ and walking into a, a fairly different environment. Right, well I learned to ask a better question hmm. because the first question that I asked several times was, can we do this, can we do this? And very quickly was told, no, no, we don't do that. Right. And so then one time I caught myself and I said, oh, I'm sorry, how do we get this done? <laughs> oh, well, you could change the codified ordinance. Oh. Thank you, <laughs> and then we did. Yeah. And so I'm learning to ask a better question. How do we get this done? How do we move this forward? How do we um, have a better water system? You yeah. know, for instance, how do we develop the marina and draw economic development downtown and reopen these historic buildings? How do we, uh, how do we move forward as a city? How do we beautify the city? How do you we know, beautify the city? I, I was thinking of uh, the the Gregory's who donated flowers and others too. Yeah. So on Mother's Day, Sunday afternoon, she didn't drag me, but she coaxed <laughs> me to spend Mother's Day. We have entrances to the city, you know, uh, the north and the south. And so, you know, we went down and just planted a lot of flowers by the big sign, welcoming people to the city yeah. of Steubenville. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, it's still beautiful. Yeah. And there are lots of other ways and lots of other things that politicians don't do if they think I'm a politician, does a politician do that? Right. But if you understand the, the, the vocation and the spirituality of a Catholic called to the common good yeah. of the city where we live, then it's, a, it's an extension of what you did in our backyard, our four or five acres, you know, and uh, it just makes a lot of sense when you think outside what the box is for most people. Politicians just do nothing but politics. And I think that's a great thing that we will pick up and discuss <laughs> when we come back with Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. One of the ideas that I really like in the writings of St. John Paul II is this idea that we should be Catholics, we should be Christians in all areas of our lives. And so this should apply not just when we go to Mass on Sundays, not just when we're with other Catholics, but even in our day-to-day -day working lives. And I think by achieving this, we can really be true witnesses to the Gospel. You don't have to trade top-flight academic programs for a passionately Catholic identity. You can have both. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll not only deepen your faith, you'll be prepared for real-world success by dedicated professors for whom excellence isn't just a goal, but the standard. Ready to get started? Check out franciscan.edu. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, and we're coming to you from the Communication Arts Studio here on the campus of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Our students are operating the cameras and equipment, and my colleagues in the Theology Department, Dr. Regis Martin and Dr. Scott Hahn, are guiding our discussion with Kimberly Hahn as we discuss fostering Catholic citizenship. Scott, at the end of the last segment, brought up uh, the idea of serving the common good. And, and for some, that can just be an adjective, you know, oh yeah, you should do good things. But as Catholics, that means a lot more to us. Uh, could you maybe unpack that a bit in terms of how you live out uh, that call of the church to serve the common good? Yeah. Well, desiring people to have good, clean water, <laughs> uh, safe housing, uh, have a sense of hope for their children and grandchildren. Uh, it, there's a way in which our faith motivates us to come alongside people and you mm -hmm. don't have to use God talk the whole time to be demonstrating how much your love for Christ is giving you a love and compassion for the people. Uh, one example, and we were talking about the marina, um, I had a lot of community service people come down and join me. Mm. And the two women who guide uh, and kind of monitor uh, the, the people have come through that particular program and they're growing in faith. They, it, the one gal said, you know, I was in prison for drugs and prostitution. And she said, Jesus has set me free. And she started Amen. singing, uh, <laughs> how great is our God. And I timed in yeah. and the two of us sang together. Oh. Her name's Kim. And I said, you know, in Korean, Kim means gold. And she mm. said, that's it, baby. You and I are gold. And, <laughs> and our hearts were just yeah. united yeah. Um, to meet these community service people who, for reasons that they had you know, committed some kind of a crime, had to do community service, mm -hmm. and welcome them, learn their names, and then appreciate their efforts joining me at the marina was such a privilege. Yeah. It was such a privilege. 
um, to be able to welcome pastors who come and pray at council, um, to uh, use the opportunity at council to promote what the Ohio Valley Youth Network is doing uh -huh. mm -hmm. or other faith-based initiatives. This coming Sunday, there's gonna be something called the Longest Table and they expect about 300 people are gonna gather downtown along just one extended table and eat a meal together. Mm. There are tremendous efforts that will bolster just the humanity of each individual made in the image and likeness of God. And that's what I would say in, I'm trying to serve in terms of the common good. Yeah. The, the common good is such a slogan. You know, I think it's misunderstood. It's reduced to kind of a, a political common ground so that, you know, the Democrats want this, the Republicans want that. Well, wherever there's slight overlap, that's the common good. No, right. that's entirely right. wrong. Right. Uh, you know, in the ancient Greco-Roman political philosophy, there was an analogy between the household, the oikos, and the city-state, the polis. Hmm. And it's much easier to start small and think that way because, you know, the idea that individual rights are really all that we care about well, that doesn't work in a household, in a family. Mm. Uh, and, and the dad knows that, but the mother gets it. Mm. You know, I, I think the dad might be smart, but wisdom in the Bible is always feminine and maternal because wisdom is that which a woman possesses as mother to see how all of the desires of all of the kids, even the competing ones, can be coordinated and united. To say the right thing at the right time in the right, right way to the yeah. right person is what's natural to a mother. And that kind of thing, you know, it, it, it isn't like a tug of war between patriarchy versus matriarchy, the way everybody thinks without even thinking about it. Hmm. It really is, you know, my patriarchy is an outgrowth of her matriarchy and vice versa. And I think the more we recognize the complementarity that is in the divine DNA of bearing his image and likeness in family life, mm -hmm. the more we grasp the inner logic that transfers it from the household, oikos, to the city, the polis. Mm -hmm. And that's what common good meant in antiquity. Yeah. You know, adolescents always see their desires as competing and they try to win a tug of war, you know, but the mother is the one who tries to raise up the adolescents to see, hey, it's not just what you want, it's what will make you the happiest is right. doing what all of us right. get to I share. Mean, she, she's the one who invites the combatants to sit down yeah. and share a cup of tea and <laughs> right. mediates all of their differences. Because they are brothers and sisters. That's exactly right. Yes. That, that phrase, the common good, I mean, it's been cheapened yeah. and debased but I think we should approach it with real reference. And that's what politics was instituted to help secure the common good, right. fulfillment at different levels. I mean, if you live in a city where nobody can work because there are no jobs, then you can't find fulfillment. But even if you have a job, but you can't meet other people, and, and so there's no fraternal interaction, no love, then that city is inhuman, it's incomplete. But finally, if the city doesn't make provision for God, if there's no place for adoration, for worship, if you can't see the spires of church cathedrals, then that city is also incomplete, yeah. inhuman. Right. Yes. Right. There's so much that's made of separations of, uh, you know, church and state, certainly that perception. And Kimberly, as you're talking, there might be some listeners thinking, wow, you're being really religious <laughs> in a secular arena. Um, yeah. And maybe wondering, how do you do that? Yeah. Could 
somebody at home do that? Have you found hostility towards that? Because I think there is an attitude among many uh, devout Catholics that's saying right. like, well, that's, that's the realm of pagans, that's the realm of other people, right. and they would, never, they would never allow me to say a prayer you know, for example, or do anything that could let me share my faith, or I would have to keep it really under the radar, you know, and I know. Uh, maybe you just share a little bit about I mean, your experience. I mean, for me, it's, it, it's a matter of the Lordship of Christ in my life, mm -hmm. and I don't have to talk about the Lord to communicate the love of the Lord, but I'm ready to, yeah. I'm ready to. So I've been asked, it was funny, someone didn't show up to pray at council, and so the mayor turned to me and said, well, you pray, right? Like. <laughs> Can you pray? Like, sure. Yeah. And so I let off with a scripture I'd memorized and prayed over counsel, and then and we went on. It's happened five times. Um, but but I also, prudentially, yeah, it's also the case that you pray or the pastors of the city pray before the city council meeting officially gets yeah, started. Before it, so yeah, it's not because I mean, right. we had we had external opposition coming from what Minnesota, I think, yeah. or whatever, mm. you know, saying you can't pray as part of your city council meeting. Well, we pray we before. Don't. That's right. <laughs> we pray before. And it's that kind of juggling right. that right. prudence right. allows. What I think is important is that we not do less of a job, but because we're Catholics, we have an excuse. In other words, I can't come in and be quoting scriptures and treating it like it's an evangelistic right. meeting when I'm not doing research on, you know, water tower cathodic treatment <laughs> and, you know, all of the, all of the details. I, I want in service to Christ and to the city to go as deep as I can go into as many issues as I can so that I can figure out what the issues are and lay out a good way forward. Um, so it, our faith cannot be an excuse of doing a slacker's job, right. but, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, yeah. a Christian. You know, it, it's you know? not that you just think outside the box. You've made the box a whole lot bigger. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for you, the yes. prayer and politics are sort of a natural outgrowth of one another. Because you pray, you're interested in politics. Because you're a politician, you're intensely interested in prayer. Yes. So that you can make it work. Yes. And, yes. and, and the political action yeah. really is an extension of her own maternity. Yeah. Her identity, yeah. uh, wife, mother, mother-in-law, grandmother, all of those things. But I mean, uh, we moved into a house oh, 15 years ago, whenever that was, and the backyard was like a tangle of foliage and woods and unwalkable, basically. And then one summer after another, you know, one terrace level of gardening <laughs> after another, and then you know, uh, a grotto to the Holy Family, uh, a hermitage as well as the Stations of the Cross. You know, when she was running, I, you know, I just said, just you know give tours of the backyard and tell them <laughs> that's what she can do for the city, you know. And I, I really do believe that that image, by the way, you know, think outside the box, no, another box, a much bigger one, you know. Because Vatican II called lay people to the universal call to holiness, but also to sanctify the temporal order. Yes. That this is our jurisdiction, this is our vocation, this is our parish, the world as it were, you know. And then after Vatican II, what do we see? The clericalization of the laity. If you're serious about your faith, join the parish council, be a deacon, be an, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being a lector or any of those things, but our calling is centrifugal. It is to go out and sanctify the temporal order, not just sanitize it and not clericalize it either but to really bring the Lordship of Christ to bear upon that sort of thing. And I'm really good at the theory. 
but she's really good at the practice. <laughs> well, I mean, Christ entered every area of human yes. life. Right. Yeah. He's alien to nothing human. Right. Uh, he even entered into sin uh, and somehow redeemed even that. So, we, you know, we, we stand on a stage and Christ occupies that stage. So, no space on that stage is somehow indifferent That's right. to God. We don't, and we don't concede it to the evil right. one. We he don't came, say, He came okay, to that's heal everything right. human. And we right. are His body, and so we have to be that presence. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So, what are some ways you can see people being that presence? I mean, one obviously could be run for office, but mm -hmm. I think that's probably a, a select call. Um, and yet, I, I imagine from your vantage point, you can see a lot more opportunities for uh, Catholic citizenship, Catholics just being more active in right. their local politics outside of voting, which I think is probably, and sadly, some might not be voting as much as they should, but right. that's only the first step of really being more involved. Because a vote is just, I hope you take care of it, right. but your model is really Let's all do Join this me. together. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. so maybe just share some ideas. Somebody sitting watching at home yeah. who has a passion for this, what can they do? One of the things that I've done is have a group of women who meet with me almost weekly. I call them my kitchen cabinet, <laughs> uh, kind of like what yeah. Ronald Reagan had, which was his cabinet close to the heart. Mm. And so they meet with me and I go over the issues and, and get their wisdom, their ideas about, okay, how can I approach this? How can I present this? Um, opportunities for volunteering, for um, being more involved with youth, being more involved in um, working on the parks and recreation and the gardens. And a wonderful Christian couple joined me for um, a fishing event down at the marina and they really ran with it. It was mm. wonderful. It drew about 90 people, who, wow. many of whom had never fished before, um, trying to communicate to people okay, this is an opportunity for you to come and speak. Now we've gone through a time where um, some council members way was to stop public forum uh, almost completely at council, but I think that's about to change. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I, because to me, opening up that, that avenue of hearing from the people is very, very important. So we want their ideas, but we also want their skin in the game. We mm -hmm. want them to join us, come alongside us, give us ideas, but also how can we then move our city forward together? I, you know, you said that voting is the first step. In a certain sense it is, but in another sense it's the last step. <laughs> because you should be active politically in your town before, before voting day, you know. You ought to find out who the candidates are, and if there aren't any good ones, you know, ask others to consider running, which, which we've done. You know, we had a mayor who was mayor for a quarter of a century, and he was stepping down. And so we prayerfully considered, and we called the fella and said, would you consider running for mayor? You're an outstanding Catholic citizen. People love you. You've been here for 70 years. He ran and he <laughs> won in a landslide yeah. and, and has really brought something to bear. And he never thought of it before. He was startled by the call. <laughs> we were startled by the prayer and that, you know, just the that sense that wouldn't Jerry be a great mayor? And he <laughs> is. And I just think that, again, creative thinking before the voting booth, you know, and coming up not only with an awareness of who's running and who should I vote for, but who isn't running but maybe should. It sounds like it's a kind of active, uh, you know, examination of conscience before you receive reconciliation. It's not yeah. about just going to receive the sacrament. It's about living the life yes. and Daily. being contemplative about it and always asking questions, how can we help and how and can we And depending on the season of life, 
exactly. will vary what people can do. Amen. Right. Yeah. Well, when we get back, our panel will have their final thoughts on fostering Catholic citizenship. So please stay with us. We all seek truth in what we do. It's what it means to be a human being, and the church has the truth, and it needs to be brought to all peoples from all across the world. For me, that meant a career in journalism. I want to bring the truth to all people, from America to the rest of the world, and I have been able to do that through writing. Last year, at the age of 17, I was the campaign manager for the now mayor of Steubenville, and before I could even vote, I was working with him because I knew he was a man of integrity and bringing that into a sphere where we see so little integrity today. And what I saw in him was a man of character, and I saw that he brought both the theoreticals of Catholicism and the practicals together. A man who entered politics for the right reasons, but also had the material to make things happen. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy, and you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment. Regis, could you start us off with your thoughts? Yeah, uh, one, one sense I, I have is that as Christians, uh, we believe in a God of surprises. Mm. And certainly this conversation has been a source of unending surprise to me. I mean, I've known you for a very long time, but I had no idea that you wore so many hats. <laughs> and you're still putting them on, and who knows what what surprises uh, God has in store for you uh, at, at some future point. But I would have thought that just being a mother, an author, and a wife to this guy would have quite exhausted your capacity for surprise. But it's exhausted mine. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also a politician. I mean, you know, we, we live in a culture where religion is so privatized that at a cocktail party, that's the one subject you never bring up. That and politics, and you are knee deep in both, immersed right up to your forehead, even uh, in prayer and politics, and you pull it off uh, uh, so well. And it's so wonderfully refreshing because it goes completely against the grain of what the conventional wisdom prescribes. That politics, oh, that's for people who are sort of unsavory. They're yeah. lusting after your vote because they want power. Yeah. And, and Plato reminds us you only give uh, power to people who disdain its exercise. Let the philosopher king govern. Well, you're a philosopher and you're a queen and you're governing uh, and you're inviting others. You're not interested in power. You're not you're not in this job because you can line your pocket with cash. <laughs> There's not enough cash in the city to make it worthwhile. You seem genuinely interested in knowing what people need, what they want, what they desire from their government. And by George, you're prepared to bring it about, mm -hmm. to midwife it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's glorious, but it is surprising. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Scott. You know, I come back to that sense that I mentioned earlier that the, uh, the household and the city, the city is an extension of the household, a kind of extended family. 
You know, and I say that because not only of the excitement and the joy and the energy you bring, but also the frustration that you haven't spoken of, that I've seen, the criticisms, you know, the unjust opposition, the suspicion, and it's like, it's water off a duck's back and onto mine, you know? <laughs> but it's one of those things where, you know, you could, you could resent, you could give up, you know, you could curse the darkness, but then all of a sudden the analogy comes full circle for me because there were times when our six kids, especially when we had three teenagers, you know, frustrated us, me perhaps more than you. I never gave up because they're our kids, right. you know, and so you never give up because it's our city. And a lot of people have given up. You know, our own kids at times seem to give up on themselves or each other. And to me, this is more than just a neat little comparison. There really is a, an analogy of being. It isn't just a kind of literary device. There really is a sense in which your motherhood has matured after 40 years of marriage now in a way that makes fertility something more than biological. Mm -hmm. It makes it spiritual. And I think a lot of women and men have that longing, not nearly enough. You know, I don't think we have nearly enough people awakening to the sense that, you know, grace builds in nature and then sends you out into the natural sphere to kind of bring Christ. Even if you never mention his name or make the sign of the cross, you can just get involved in the lives of others in terms of sports and music and culture, education. You can be on the school board. You can help with homeschooling networks and co-ops and all of that kind of yeah. thing. And, you know, the sky's the limit, you know. And so, you know, thinking outside the box, throw the darn box away yeah. and, you know, just live out in the real world. And that's what you've taught us. You know, that's what you've shown me. That's the partnership and the joy that we have come to share. And it's like, I'm in awe of what God has done and will do through my bride. Amen. I think that people of faith involved in politics can bring genuine hope to hearts. I really do. I think the opportunity for work is something that strengthens marriages and families. I, I think beauty speaks to hearts of anybody who passes by. Um, revitalization takes vision. And if you can bring a vision, uh, you can bring hope. Um, it says without vision, the people perish. And so the opposite would be true. Hmm. I look around and I believe the Holy Spirit is the active agent of all that we see, this beauty in creation. And the Holy Spirit isn't in a box. So I ask the Holy Spirit all the time, show me the way. How can we bring something new, something different that will speak to the hearts of our people here, encouraging them in their faith and then drawing them into uh, deeper wholeness and holiness. And uh, I think that politics is one of those ways we can do it. Amen. And you're certainly witnessing that. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for being here. If you want to learn more about today's topic, we have a handout. Uh, free for you, excerpts from a document by the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith for the participation of Catholics in political life. And this is yours for free by simply going online to faithandreason.com or by calling the number you'll see on the screen in just a moment. Um, I can't help but think of the two greatest commandments, as Jesus said, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And I think when we look at that second commandment, 
uh, we can get fairly abstract in what we think about a neighbor means. And yet, uh, the literal sense has to begin when we look at scripture before we get to the spiritual. Literally, who is your neighbor and do you love them? I think that's a wonderful examination of conscience for all of us. Uh, who claim Jesus Christ as Lord. I mean, not just this imaginary person that I'm helping in the abstract, the guy next door who refuses to put the garbage back even though it's been two days since the collection happened. <laughs> That's the neighbor I need to love. Uh, the people down the street that might uh, have needs that I could perhaps help with. That's the neighbor I need to love. It doesn't matter if they're Catholic, if they're Protestant, if they're Muslim, if they're atheist. Those things go out the window. What we're called to do is to love God and love our neighbor. And so I'm really inspired by uh, Kimberly's witness, and I think it's a witness that all of us can emulate in some way or another. The more that we get involved, uh, the more we can make a difference. I share this with Scott sometimes. You know, one of, uh, one of my favorite books is Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person. Mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, habit of proactivity uh, gives an image of there's a circle that we have in our life of things that we're concerned about. And then there's a smaller circle of things that uh, we have impact in, that we can uh, contribute to. And all of the anxiety that we have in our lives are the areas of concern where we don't have influence. And I think many who watch uh, the news programs on TV were anxious and were concerned about all these things that we actually don't have any influence yeah. over. But when we focus on the things that we can impact, yeah. then that impact grows. The box, as Regis was talking about, it gets bigger. And we can really do amazing things through the power of the Holy Spirit and working together as brothers and sisters in a community, in a home, uh, in a city. And that, I think, is the message that we need to have going forth. You know, that we, we can do things locally that can make a huge difference in the lives of our neighbors, and in doing so, be a way that we reflect the love of God. I want to invite you all today to be a part of Franciscan University of Steubenville and join us in our mission to educate, evangelize, and send forth disciples to restore all things in Christ. We hope all of our students here get involved, and it's wonderful to hear how many are involved locally. Uh, we ask for your prayers, and we're certainly praying for you uh, that God can be the God of the city and the yes. Savior of the world. Amen. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-783-6357.